You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Chicken Salad Toasts. For this, you're going to need two to three large toasts. Could be dinner for two. One large skin-on bone-in chicken breast, about 12 to 14 ounces about two and a half tablespoons of olive oil, salt and freshly ground black pepper, one tablespoon of white wine vinegar, one half of a small cucumber, such as a Persian variety, halved and thinly sliced, one small celery rib, sliced thin, three radishes, quartered lengthwise and then sliced thin, one scallion also sliced thin, and one tablespoon of chopped dill, chives or parsley or a mix for garnish. You'll also need three tablespoons of creme fraiche, one and a half teaspoons of prepared horseradish, and two to three thin slices of rye, pumpernickel, or another dense health bread toasted. Heat your oven to 425 degrees Fahrenheit and place the chicken on a small rimmed baking sheet and rub with one tablespoon of olive oil. Season with salt and pepper and roast until golden brown and cooked through about 25 to 30 minutes. Let cool and then remove skin and bones and shred meat into bite-sized pieces. Place the shredded chicken in a medium bowl and toss with one and a half tablespoons of olive oil, one tablespoon vinegar, one half teaspoon of kosher salt and freshly ground black pepper until evenly coated. Add cucumber, celery, radishes, and scallion to the salad and toss to combine. Adjust the salt, pepper and vinegar to taste. Combine creme fraiche and horseradish and a couple pinches of salt in a small dish and stir to combine. Heap the salad onto two to three toasts or more on two or less on three. Dollop with horseradish creme fraiche if using and garnish with herbs. On the opposite side of that we have a recipe from eating well. (laughs) Cheesy ground beef and cauliflower casserole. The ingredients one tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil, one half cup of chopped onion, one medium green bell pepper, chopped, one pound of lean ground beef, three cups of bite-sized cauliflower florets, three cloves of garlic, minced, two tablespoons of chili powder, two teaspoons of ground cumin, one teaspoon of dried oregano, one half teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon of ground chipotle, and one 15-ounce can of no-salt-added petite diced tomatoes, two cups of shredded extra-sharp cheddar cheese, and one-third cup of sliced pickled jalapenos. First, you're going to position the rack in the upper third of the oven and preheat your broiler to high. Next, you're going to heat oil in a large oven-safe skillet over medium heat, add onion and bell pepper, cook, stirring until softened about five minutes. Add beef and cauliflower, cook, stirring, and breaking the beef up into smaller pieces until it's no longer pink, five to seven minutes. Stir in garlic, chili powder, cumin, oregano, salt, and chipotle. Cook until fragrant, about one minute. Add tomatoes and their juices and bring to a simmer and cook, stirring occasionally until the liquid is reduced and the cauliflower is tender, about three minutes more. Then remove from heat. Next, you're going to sprinkle cheese over the beef mixture and top with sliced jalapenos. 
Broil until the cheese is melted and browned in spots. Mmm, two to three minutes. This one from Smitten Kitchen for Indian Spice Vegetable Fritters. Last year I came across a recipe for Indian potato pancakes on Epicurious. The reviews were far from glowing. The recipe had its share of flaws, but the idea of an Indian spiced fritter rooted so firmly in my taste buds' anticipations that I knew I had to find a way to make it right or I'd never get it out of my mind. I exchanged potatoes for a mix of vegetables, doubled some and tripled other spices, added enough egg that the patties would hold together, reduced their oiliness, and sweetened up the too tangy yogurt, landing on a creation that Alex and I fell upon like a pack of wild dogs that had been denied whatever it is that makes them wild for months beforehand. The next day, I brought some into work, where even the most unadventurous co-workers fell prey to the fritter's charm. And unexpectedly, I followed that whole gut thing far enough that I ended up with something almost as far from the original as one can get, and accidentally landed on one of the first recipes I can call even halfway my own. I hope you like it as much as we do. So Indian Spiced Vegetable Fritters with Curry Lime Yogurt. This makes about 24 pancakes. You'll need one half cup of frozen peas, one medium onion peeled, one large russet or Idaho potato peeled, one yam or sweet potato peeled, one large or two thin carrots peeled, one zucchini, four large eggs, four tablespoons of all-purpose flour, one half teaspoon of ground coriander, one half teaspoon of ground turmeric, one teaspoon of ground cumin, a pinch of cayenne, two tablespoons of minced peeled fresh ginger, and two tablespoons of minced fresh cilantro. For the curry lime yogurt, you'll need two cups of plain yogurt. We love the Faye fat-free stuff. Two teaspoons of curry powder, one teaspoon of sugar, a squeeze or two of fresh lime juice to taste, and salt and pepper. You're going to preheat your oven to 200 degrees Fahrenheit and place two nonstick baking sheets in the oven. In a small saucepan, bring salted water to a boil, add peas, and cook uncovered until heated through about two to three minutes. Drain, then rinse in colander under cool running water. Set aside in colander to drain completely. Using a box grater or food processor fitted with a grating disc, coarsely grate the onion, potatoes, carrot, and zucchini and place in the colander set in the sink, setting aside to drain. In a large mixing bowl, lightly beat the eggs, whisk in the flour, coriander, turmeric, and cumin, mix in ginger, cilantro, and peas next. Press the potatoes and onions to extract as much liquid as possible, then add to the bowl. Season the mixture with salt and freshly ground black pepper. Using a wooden spoon or hands work mix well, but do not overwork. In a heavy bottom 12-inch nonstick skillet or over moderately high heat, heat one to two tablespoons of oil. I used an extra virgin olive spray that I'd found to lightly coat the pan. You cook it or warm it up till hot but not smoking. Drop four scant one quarter cup portions of potato mixture into the pan and flatten with a spatula to form four three inch pancakes. 
fry until the bottoms are golden brown. The color really counts on this. The darker you let it go, the more the pancake holds together, and this goes for both sides. Do this for four to five minutes, then turn over and fry until golden brown and crisp an additional four to five minutes. Transfer to paper towels to drain. Season immediately with salt and pepper. And then keep warm on baking sheets in the oven while making your remaining pancakes. Using paper towels, carefully wipe out the pan. Add one tablespoon of oil to the pan and fry four more pancakes. Repeat with the remaining batter, wiping out the pan and adding one to two tablespoons of oil before each batch. Serve the pancakes hot with curry lime yogurt. Or you could do this step in the microwave and save yourself a good bit of effort. These are some uh, footnotes here. Yet another recipe that, yes, if you had a food processor, it takes no time at all to put this together. That said, it makes for more coarsely grated vegetables than doing it by hand, so they are slightly harder to assemble into pancakes. And last one, I know there's a lot of head shaking at nonstick these days, and I too try to avoid it when possible. Still, pancakes like this are much, much more difficult to make without a nonstick pan, as you'll end up using tablespoon after tablespoon of oil to keep the fritters from sticking. Just some notes. Next, we're going to go with chihole, chickpea curry. This from eatingwell.com. This healthy Indian recipe is an authentic chickpea curry that you can make in minutes. If you want to add a vegetable, stir in some roasted cauliflower. Serve with brown basmati rice or warm naan. So a couple questions. Is chickpea curry good for weight loss? Well, there are nutrition choices, exercises, and lifestyle changes that can help you lose weight. Certain foods like legumes can help you achieve your weight loss goals. Legumes are known for their high concentration of vegetarian protein, fiber, and key vitamins and minerals. One half cup of cooked chickpeas provides a whopping six grams of dietary fiber. It's well known that increasing your dietary fiber may help you in your weight loss journey. The 7 grams of protein that you'll get from half a cup of cooked chickpeas can also help you feel fuller, making consuming them a great strategy for weight management. Find out why chickpeas are one of the best foods to eat for weight loss and learn more about the health benefits of chickpeas at eatingwell.com. Next question, how to store leftover chickpea curry and how long does it last? Well. Leftover chickpea curry can be stored in an airtight container and refrigerated for up to three days. To reheat, you can microwave it on high until warm. Chickpea curry is also easy to freeze. Portion and store it in the freezer-safe containers. Freeze for up to two months. And be sure to label the containers so you can keep track of its freshness. And check out more freezing tips for soups, stews, and meals again at eatingwell.com. Here's the recipe. Ingredients. One medium serrano pepper, cut into thirds. Four large cloves of garlic. One two-inch piece of fresh ginger, peeled and coarsely chopped. One medium yellow onion, chopped, about one inch. Six tablespoons of canola oil or grapeseed oil. Two teaspoons of ground coriander. Two teaspoons of ground cumin. 1 quarter teaspoon of ground turmeric, 
two and a quarter cups of no salt added canned diced tomatoes with their juice from a 28 ounce can, three quarters of a teaspoon of kosher salt, two 15 ounce cans of chickpeas rinsed, two teaspoons of garam masala, and fresh cilantro for garnish. Here's the directions. First, you're gonna pulse the serrano, garlic, and ginger in a food processor until minced. Scrape down the sides and pulse again. Add onion, pulse until finely chopped, but not watery. Next, you're gonna heat oil in a large saucepan over medium-high heat. Add the onion mixture and cook, stirring occasionally until softened three to five minutes. Add coriander, cumin, and turmeric and cook, stirring for two minutes. Pulse tomatoes in the food processor until finely chopped. Add to the pan along with salt. Reduce heat to maintain a simmer and cook, stirring occasionally for four minutes. Add chickpeas and garam masala. Reduce heat to a gentle simmer. Cover and cook, stirring occasionally for five minutes more. Serve topped with cilantro if desired. For this you'll need a food processor and a large saucepan. Next we're gonna go to back to Smitten Kitchen for the simplest apple tart. Ugh, it looks scrumptious. Apples at their simplest can be their very finest. Sure, I love an oozy, heavily spiced and lidded apple pie, but I also think there's something matchless about apples, butter and sugar baked until bubbly. This classic apple tart is from Alice Waters, but she says that it was actually Jacques Pepin who created it at Chez Panisse more than 20 years ago. So I can see why they've never gotten tired of it. You start by making a very simple pâté brisé. Yes, that kind, but this one doesn't demand precision. You're gonna to wanna to roll it out really, really thin. Now the original recipe suggested that you use a tart pan, but I think you can skip it and go galette style. Next, peel the apples. The original recipe suggested more than I needed, not that I complain about having slices to snack on. I like to have them and use a melon baller, which is getting a big workout this week to remove the cores. Save all the peels and cores. I like to tightly armadillo them. Keeping them together helps when you want to lay them out or you can just lightly tilt them and they'll fan out. So this means they're all packed on their edge with a circle side you know, up uh, so that many, many slices of the apples looks kind of like the back of an armadillo. Then you're gonna pull the excess crust over the apples, crimping it at intervals. Brush the crust and apples with two tablespoons of melted butter. Sprinkle it with a few tablespoons of sugar, then bake it for almost an hour, rotating it frequently until it's a deep golden brown. And the galette style that I know of here is it's folded in, but there's a center um, part that is just not covered by the crust. Meanwhile, boil all of the reserved peels and cores in a sugar water until it reduces to a syrup, and then strain it. Brush the syrup lightly over the tart, hot from the oven. See if you can keep away until the guests arrive. It might even be the hardest thing that you have done that day. Serve it with vanilla ice cream, lightly sweetened soft whipped cream, or a dollop of creme fraiche. 
either alone or stirred into whipped cream. Make plans to repeat it with pears next week uh, or tomorrow. And let this be your go-to recipe for everything awesome. Next, we have a recipe for Dolce de Leche Cheesecake Squares. This from Smitten Kitchen. 
If you're looking for a strong dolce de leche flavor in a baked good, this unfortunately isn't it. Oh, it's there, but it's not front and center. It has to share the spotlight with cream cheese, and, well, I'm not sure that it wants to. But it lingers subtly in the background, and honestly, if there was ever a way to make cheesecake more heavenly, this would have to be it. I'm sure you'll notice that there is some gelatin in this recipe, and think it's odd. Heck, even Alex did, which really just made me beam with pride that he knows so much about baking right now that he knows that gelatin is atypical in baked cheesecakes. But if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. The reason why most cheesecake recipes don't fare well as squares is that they're too soft to easily pick up. The gelatin fix addresses this perfectly. This makes 64 one-inch cheesecake squares. For the crust, you'll need three and a half ounces of graham crackers crumbled, two tablespoons of sugar, three tablespoons of unsalted butter melted. For the filling, you'll need one teaspoon of unflavored gelatin. Um, from a one quarter ounce or seven gram envelope will be just about half an envelope. You also need one quarter cup of whole milk, eight ounces of cream cheese softened, two large eggs, three eighths teaspoon salt, one cup of dolce de leche. The recipe follows. For the glaze, you'll need three ounces of fine quality bittersweet chocolate, not unsweetened, coarsely chopped, one half stick of unsalted butter cut into pieces, and two teaspoons of light corn syrup. To make the crust, you're going to put your oven rack in the middle position and preheat the oven to 325 degrees Fahrenheit. Line the bottom and sides of an 8-inch square baking pan with two sheets of foil crisscrossed, leaving a 2-inch overhang on all sides. Finely grind crackers with sugar and a pinch of salt in a food processor. With motor running, add butter, blending until combined. Press the mixture evenly onto the bottom of a baking pan and bake 10 minutes, then cool in a pan on a rack for 5 minutes. Make the filling. Sprinkle the gelatin over milk in a small bowl and let stand 2 minutes to soften. Beat together the cream cheese, eggs, salt, and gelatin mixture in a bowl with an electric mixer at medium speed until well combined, about two minutes. Then stir in the dolce de leche gently but thoroughly. Pour the filling over the crust, smoothing the top, then bake in a hot water bath. I was able to fit mine into a 9 by 13 inch baking pan. Uh, bake it in the hot water bath in the oven until the center is set, about 45 minutes. Cool the cheesecake completely in a pan on the rack about two hours and then chill covered for at least six hours. Glaze the cake within two hours of serving. You're going to heat all glaze ingredients in a double boiler or a small metal bowl set over a saucepan of barely simmering water, stirring until smooth and then pour over the cheesecake, tilting the baking pan to coat the top evenly. Chill uncovered for 30 minutes. Lift the cheesecake from the pan without the foil overhang and cut into one inch squares within a thin knife, wiping off knife after each cut. Do not skip this step. A clean knife is essential for uber neat squares. Pour one can of 14 ounce of sweetened condensed milk into the top of a double boiler pan and then cover. Place the oven or place over the boiling water. Cook over low heat, stirring occasionally for 40 to 50 minutes until thick and lightly 
caramel color. This will make your dulce de leche, which is also known as milk caramel. Remove from the heat and then whisk until smooth. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.